0: Macworld Podcast, number 160, for May 20th, 2009, sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable spoken word content with over 50,000 titles. Get a free audiobook for your iPod or MP3 player at www.audiblepodcast.com slash macworld. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Breen. Here in the dog days of spring, if indeed spring has dog days we wait for apple's next big thing and that next big thing is certainly the worldwide developers conference that takes place june 8th through the 12th at wwdc we're likely to see lots more information about mac os 10 10 10.6 aka snow leopard the iphone and ipod touch 3.0 software and perhaps even learn of some new gear and my guess would be a new iphone as we wait to get our prognosticating ducks in a row in anticipation of our next podcast, where we'll weigh the couldas and shouldas of WWDC, we turn this episode to other Mac matters. Specifically, we devote the bulk of this episode to GemFest 2009, Macworld's yearly event where we devote daily attention to some cool low or no cost items that cross our desk. Senior editors Dan Frakes and Roman Loyola head up GemFest, and I'll speak to them about how they put it together and what we might expect in the coming days and weeks. Before we do, a little news and commentary. Earlier this week, I took a look at Napster's rejiggered music subscription service, and while writing it up, I pondered all the arguments against these services. I like music subscription a lot, but I know most people either have no interest in them or actively dislike them, though my very best guess is that those who have an opinion along these lines has never actually tried one. Because I do find value in subscription services like Napster and Rhapsody, I thought I'd address those objections now, starting with... You need to own your music because you'll carry it with you for the rest of your life. You know how you desperately loved Bonnie Sue Hayes in your sophomore year of high school and swore that you would never love again after she dumped you for that stringy-haired pothead? And then you got another girlfriend who was cute, but it just wasn't going anywhere. And then you dumped her for someone who was really mean, and then there was that vegetarian hippie chick who left you to follow some psychic nut job in Minnesota, and then you found the perfect girlfriend who you eventually married? The music you bought in your teens is like Bonnie Sue Hayes perfectly appropriate for the time but can you imagine being with her today the music that was so heavenly in high school is going to sound really dated about 20 years hence yes there's some musical works that you'll want to keep forever but the majority of what most people own turns out to be disposable i am outraged that my music collection will disappear when i stop paying my subscription fee A subscription music service can be both an enhancement to ownership as well as an end unto itself. As an enhancement, you have the opportunity to explore music you would never otherwise hear. Should you find something you like and don't plan to stay subscribed forever, feel free to buy it. And the freedom to engage in this kind of exploration is incredibly powerful. For example, if you're a classical music geek, you now have the opportunity to listen to 20 different versions of a beloved symphony or follow the recordings of a particular orchestra or conductor. Jazz enthusiasts can watch Miles Davis grow from young bebopper to electric space case without investing in dozens of albums. Kids wondering what this whole punk thing was about can sample as much of it as they can stand, and on and on. You'd no more want to own most of this material than you'd want to own every TV show that you see when channel surfing. It's all about the exploration and the immediate experience of discovery. You pay your cable or satellite company for this kind of viewing experience, so why is the notion of doing the same for music so abhorrent? I own the tunes I like and want no part of today's lousy music. Remember how your parents used to come into your room and scream at you to turn down that lousy music because it was just noise? Welcome to adulthood. You are your parents. If you bemoan the fact that they don't write songs the way they once did, a subscription service will change your mind. With such tools in hands, you can follow links from artists you loved to today's musicians, Chances are you'll find that music hasn't gone to hell in a handbasket. It's just that you haven't been exposed to it because the radio stations you listen to don't play stuff by artists not heavily promoted by the majors. With a measure of exposure, you might be ready to face the world in the guise of something other than a cantankerous old poop stuck in the 70s. And now Dan Frakes, Roman Loyola, and I discuss Fest 2009. I'm joined by Macworld Senior Editors Dan Frakes and Roman Loyola, the two people most responsible for bringing you GemFest 2009, Macworld's annual look at some of the best low-cost Mac software out there. Thanks for being here, guys.
1: Sure. Glad to be here.
2: Thanks for having us. You bet. And that first voice was Dan Frakes. The voice that sounds like Kermit the Frog is Roman Loyola me. (laughs) And that's Roman Loyola.
0: Okay, so first, how do you guys define a Mac gem? It traditionally has
1: been anything that's somewhat affordable. And by that, these days we're saying around thirty thirty five dollars or less. Uh, it's it's something that's that gets a good rating. That's uh, usually three point five or higher, uh, and something we think is a really cool software.
0: Okay, now I know that we get this question fairly often, um, but some people say. Gee, your ratings are all around 3 or 3.5 or higher than that. And how come we're not seeing one mouse reviews? And why aren't we seeing that zero mouse review? So we can really stick it to some poor little developer.
1: Well, because it wouldn't be a gem.
0: Ah, good answer. <laughs> it's really,
1: I mean, I wish I could talk, you know, at length about why, but really that's what it comes down to. If it's not, you know, a 3.5 or higher, it's, it's not considered a Mac gem. Occasionally we'll get a 3.0 that's, something that's brand new that just is really cool, but hasn't quite gotten there yet. And we'll, we'll give it a, a three, but but still give it a gem. But for the most part, they're 3.5 or higher.
0: Okay. Now I read Macworld.com and Macworld Magazine often enough that I know we look at Mac gems pretty frequently. So why are we devoting, what, five or six weeks to these things?
2: That's a good question. Usually what happens is is there Dan compiles this list of Mac gem software, And it gets so big that there's this backlog of software. So we decide that we'll do a feature article in the magazine that covers a whole bunch of them at one time. And then last year we decided, because Dan was going actually on uh, paternity leave, Mm -hmm. that we would do this series where we would do one a day. They tend to be shorter reviews than what we usually do with MacGem, That what Dan usually does. Um, But we made up for the um shortness of the reviews with the volume of products that we were introducing to you so the short short answer is just to alleviate the backlog that we have of potential gems that dan has um accumulated over time right right. i mean I, i only
1: cover two a week and and that's that's you know that's for one person that's normally quite a bit but uh I can't cover all the gems out there to a week because there's just far too much good stuff out there that gets released all the time. So so we keep a running tab of anything that we haven't gotten a chance to review. And once a year, like Roman said, we do a, a big a big roundup of 40, 50, 60 products. And we get some help from other editors and from outside contributors. And everything that, that gets looked at and is a 3.5 or higher, we throw into this big batch of reviews and then roll them out one a day.
0: Okay. Now, and, and I don't mean to demean this because... What, last year was the first time we did this? It was the first time we did the,
1: the sort of summer yeah. Gems Fest or or summer of gems where we do one review a day. We, every year for, I oh gosh, it's been since at least 2003, if not 2002, we've done an annual feature where we, we round up 50 or 60 products and, and put them in a feature in the magazine. But like Roman said, it just sort of happened that last year... We kind of had this serendipitous confluence of events where we said, "Hey, Dan's going to be gone for a month. Let's throw him out one a day." And readers liked it, so we said, "Hey, let's just keep it keep it going. Do it every summer."
0: Yeah. Well, I noticed because I went back and looked at last year's, and it got really good uh,
2: comments from readers. A lot of thumbs up ratings, and
0: so it looked like a great idea to do this again.
2: Yeah, and I think also people uh, subscribed started to subscribe to the Mac Gems newsletter mm-hmm. that, uh, that we have and the, so that also added to the popularity of the whole gems uh concept right
0: now in the past i think a lot of people saw the kind of programs you cover in mac gems as either one trick ponies or something that was kind of cute but not completely serious yet today are things like pixel mater and audio hijack and art rage and photomagico just kind of going through my applications folder looking at these things <laughs> they're totally serious and these are really highly polished applications so do you see Mac application landscape changing to the point where the major publishers are increasingly losing out to the little guys doing programs like this?
1: Well, I would say that there's you know, it's a couple of things. One is that I've noticed over the past few years, ever since, I guess it started with OS X, when OS X debuted back in the, you know, the early 2000s, but especially over the last two or three years, that there's just much more stuff out there. I mean, more developers are producing software than ever before. I, I can't remember when there was this much... Every day being released, new stuff, uh, and so there's a lot more to choose from, which also means that the that the the range of of functionality is much greater now we've got all kinds of little one trick ponies like you said, but we've also got really cool software that's like thirty dollars um, and uh, and I also think that the price of software in general has come down. I would have to say the average price of something you 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 download is is cheaper now than it was maybe ten years ago and and it used to be that you had. Really cheap stuff. Remember, I remember shareware five, ten dollars, three dollars. But commercial software was you know a hundred dollars, eighty dollars, sixty dollars. And to me, it seems that recently we, uh, by recently I mean the last five years or so, there's much more of a a continuous range where we've got stuff that's free. We've got stuff that's thirty dollars, fifty dollars, seventy dollars. But the 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 meat of the stuff that is is really around the twenty five twenty thirty dollar range where we've got some really cool software that you might have paid fifty dollars for you know in the nineties but now you can get for for a twenty
0: so given that do you see the pricing of iPhone applications having any influence on what consumers are willing to pay for mac applications
2: you know i haven't i've seen a lot in doing this feature is there are a lot more free applications available mm-hmm. um I still see a lot of software in the $20, $30, $40 range. It doesn't seem like it's affecting it that much. I think people expect more out of Mac software than they do out of iPhone software. So maybe they don't mind paying as much, paying more for a Mac application as they would an iPhone application. At least that's the kind of anecdotal uh, survey that I've kind of n- noticed when, in doing this feature. You know, there's there there are more free apps, but I don't see. I, you know, I haven't seen any apps that used to be forty dollars reduced down to twenty dollars. I have seen a lot more uh, um, limited price specials, mm-hmm. where people are pricing an app at for like twenty dollars and offering it for fifteen for a certain amount of time. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if the iPhone apps have influenced the kind of shareware, donationware, freeware market so much um, as you think it might.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems to me, like Roman said, they're very, very different software markets. I mean, on the one hand, um, you've got an established computer platform where people have been paying for software for years. And then you've got this new thing where, for whatever reason, good or bad, there's this there's this glut of software that's free or 99 cents, which totally does not reflect the reality of of development and sales. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think it's sustainable over the long run. But um, I think that people so far are seeing them as different markets. Uh, although on the Mac side, I do think Roman's right that there's more free and, and, and inexpensive stuff than there used to be. Uh, and I think a lot of that is sort of part of the OS X uh, just the, just the effect of of, of OS 10 being a Unix based OS, getting all kinds of no, new developers over the last five years that never existed on the Mac platform before. And so, whereas maybe uh, for with OS 10 or, or excuse me, OS 9 or 8, you might have had two ways to do something. Now you've got 15, and one of them's ten dollars, one of them's 12, and then there's five that are are free or donationware. So I think we've just seen a, we've seen a lot more software in general on the Mac platform, and I think that more than the iPhone is probably bringing the cost of some things down. And I have seen some things out there that three or four years ago were, were $40 and are now 25 or so. Um, But it's more, I think competition within the Mac market than, than the iPhone.
0: Well, one other thing I think we are seeing more of lately, and that would be the last couple of years is these bundles. So Mm -hmm. outfits like Mac heist come along and normally you would pay $40 for a single application. Suddenly 39 bucks or $49 gets you, you know, a dozen of these really kind of wonderfully polished um, applications. Right. And do you have any thoughts about what that's doing for the shareware market or the gems market?
1: It, it's hard to say. And, and uh, as I'm sure some of the listeners are aware, there's been some big controversy over this because uh, some developers say, you know, this isn't worth doing because all you end up doing is is, is making no money at all and increasing your support costs because instead of having say you know a hundred people who paid forty dollars for your app now you've got 20,000 who paid you know two or three dollars in, in in profit that you're taking in and now you have to support all those users uh, and on the other hand you've got developers who say heck you know I'll take the 20,000 users any day of the week um, even if I have to support them uh, so there's a lot of controversy but I, I do think that um, there, there's there's gonna there's there are different people out there. I mean, I've been saying this for years about software. There's people who will pay and who, people who won't, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that these Mac heist bundles, a lot of times, what they do is, uh, you'll have a few cases of people who are sort of borderline. Um, maybe I'll buy it, maybe I won't. And then they say, oh well, for this price, of course I'll buy it. And then you've got other people who would would never buy it normally, and say, well. At least, you know, instead of pirating these, I can pay $40 and get 15 of them instead of one. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't know that there are really a lot of people out there who say, I'm not going to buy this until it shows up on Mac Heist. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think you're, you're getting people who who uh, come across it and say, oh, this is a good deal. But I don't think that it's forcing developers to say, I've got to lower this price from $30 to, to $10 because unless I do, no one will ever buy it.
0: Right. Well, you guys have seen a lot of these applications. So, do you have any advice for developers who want to make a gem worthy of your attention? <laughs> how about the list of things not to do? Wow,
1: um, that—that's a pretty broad question. <laughs> um, uh, make it work. Uh, you know, I—I I, you—you think that that's an obvious thing, but you'd be amazed at how much stuff. I, I guess I should back up a second and say that. Uh, when we're looking at Mac gems, I mean, what I do as part of my job every day is just download anything that looks cool. You know, wh- whether I see it on Version Tracker or Mac Update in the daily updates, or I see it somewhere on the web or someone's recommended it, I download stuff and I try it out. So I'm literally hundreds, if not thousands, of things every year I, I download and try out. Mm-hmm. And you would be amazed at how many don't work. <laughs> you know, there's a new app on Version Tracker that says, "Look, we does all these amazing things." And You download it and it doesn't do any of those things. Um, Or maybe it would do those things if it actually launched on my computer. So I I think that making it work uh, is is the number one priority. But um, just little things like focus on the interface, focus on making things work the way people would expect them to work. Um, uh, Fewer features is better than complexity. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that for me, especially in Gems, I'd rather have fewer features that work really well and very elegantly and uh are easy to to understand than having all the features in the world that make it a confusing app. Um good documentation is a huge thing for me. I mean, there 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 are things that I've found that I've played with and and figured out how to use them and said this is really cool, but I know that if I handed it off to somebody who, you know, had, doesn't do this for a living, they'd be like what the heck do I do with this? Mm-hmm. So good documentation is is a good one. Um but it's really the whole package. It's you know, making something that that someone will want to use. Uh, an app that if I showed to someone and said, look what this does, there's at least some segment of our readership that's going to say, wow, that's really cool. I want to use that.
0: Yeah. And Roman, you edit a lot of these reviews, plus a lot of other reviews on Macworld. Are there things that kind of stick out in, in reviews that you edit where you say, you know, this, this is a constant that, that people routinely have a problem with this, or this is routinely some kind of attractant.
2: I think with gems, gems, uh, as Dan pointed out, I think, if you have a, a smaller feature set that works really well and works intuitively, um, that's how you. That's the where you should go with your software. Don't create this bloatware. There's a reason why people aren't using the commercial apps a lot of times. You know, they don't want the bloatware. They don't want unnecessary features. They want a concentrated set of features that are executed really well and that are easy to find. And that's why they turn to these Mac gem, gem apps. And so concentrate on those kind of things. Um, make it like Dan said, make sure it works. <laughs> that happens a lot, even with commercial stuff where, mm-hmm. you know, there seems to be this sort of, I guess it's sort of, hap- uh, you can kind of blame Google with the whole beta thing about it. There's sort of this idea that having a few broken features and software is okay. And, you know to me it really isn't okay you know it's it's not a final product if it has broken features and that's not that's not something that a developer should be should think that is is acceptable so you know finish your product and um do make sure that the key features are execute you know execute the job and do it do it flawlessly
0: right
1: you, you know that actually reminds me that one you, you were talking about questions that uh you're talking about trends that that we've seen, mm-hmm. uh, and one thing I think that this this, this influx of inexpensive and cheap and insensitive and free software uh, has brought with it, I think, over the last five or ten years, is is, is the idea of of beta releases. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't remember ten years ago having so many pieces of software that are in use. While they're in beta uh, and a lot of developers it's now become this thing where where there's apps that are in perpetual beta and I don't think as much as Google gets blamed for this I don't think Google is really the ones who started this it, it's been around for you know it was around for years before for Gmail went into beta um, but uh, we get software all the time that that it really there really is no differentiation between beta and, and a release because it's all the same thing, and that's fine if in some cases uh, developers call it a beta because it just means it's in constant development. Uh, But other cases, it really is a beta, and it doesn't work right, and and, and it's not something you want to be using on a day-to-day basis. And that's kind of been a struggle for us in MacGems because historically, Macworld has had a policy of never reviewing beta software. Mm -hmm. Uh, We only reviewed official full-release versions. Uh, But that had to change because of this, because there are so many apps out there that are just the beta is just part of the of the app's version. You know, it's, it's been that way for for five years and running. So we will occasionally review something that has a beta version, but only if it's clear that that's the case that it that the beta is the official release.
0: But yeah, it does make it hard for a reviewer because you look at this thing, and say, well, it, it's beta. Oh well, wait a minute, it's been beta for two years. So right. How well, and then what, if, what what happens
1: if you give it a bad review or if you criticize a feature and then the developer comes back and says, well, clearly it's a beta. And so you shouldn't be reviewing it. It's almost like it's a it's a safety valve for some for some for some developers. Yeah, and but in the just, meantime,
0: they're advertising the thing. Right. You know, right. so it's like, well, how beta is this if you're asking right. for money and and advertising it? So it's a tough. call. So
1: you know, I would recommend. Speaking of recommendations for developers, I would say you know try to try to focus on on real versions and not perpetual betas. And you know, if you want to release something and say, okay, everything works in this one. This is a, a version. Because it's funny, because I, I've talked to, to developers who, you know, beta 0.6b was their official release, you know, two years ago. And then since then, they've been working on new features. And so why couldn't that have just been version one? You know, there's there's no reason to call it a beta, but but a lot of developers are still doing that.
0: Yeah. So I guess now alpha is the new beta. Yeah, right. And now, before we return to Dan and Roman, a word from Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable spoken word content with over 50,000 audiobooks, magazines, newspaper, and more. Take them with you on your iPod or MP3 player. Transfer to CD or listen right on your computer. Get a free audiobook through this special offer at www.audiblepodcast.com. That's www audiblepodcast.com slash macworld. And now back to Dan Frakes, Roman Loyola, and GemFest 2009. Well, let's talk about some specific applications that we'll see covered in the next few weeks. Some, What are some of your favorites?
1: Well, I will let, I'll let Roman handle that because he's got the list and the, the posting schedule.
2: Okay. Yeah. So we've posted two so far. The uh, GemFest 2009 started on Monday, this mm-hmm. past Monday. And we started off with a Air Radar, which is sort of a, um, a Wi-Fi utility that can help you survey wireless signals. And um, today we posted an, uh, a utility called Application Wizard, which uh, helps make program switching very easy. Mm-hmm. So, the first couple of weeks, we'll probably be covering a lot of system utility, system, uh, interface enhancement type applications. Right. And then we'll probably, let's see, um, probably after that, we'll start getting more into productivity type applications. Mm-hmm. Got it. We've There are a lot of uh, organization tools this time around, from organizing your media files to organizing your file files to um, organizing your music and, and stuff. So we had a lot of that this time around.
1: Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting that that's sort of been a wave in, in technology over the last like two or three years is suddenly everyone discovered organization and productivity. I mean, we've got websites and, and apps galore dedicated to making you more productive and and some of them require you to take a course just to figure out how to use them. But but uh, I think this this kind of reflects this that when we were coming up with these lists, we found all these kind of productivity and organizational apps.
0: Yeah, are we seeing the whole getting things done thing fading now as as a religion, and and now it's really just part of the way we work?
1: God, I hope so. <laughs>
0: No offense to Merlin Man and all those people out oh, there. Oh no, I,
1: I think the idea, the idea behind it is great. I, I, it's, but like you said, the whole religion aspect I think can go a little overboard. But, but no, I mean, some of the things that have come out of this have been amazing. Some of the tools and computing tools and and online tools for for organizing your life and and being more productive. I mean, I have no beef with that.
2: Yeah. So after the productivity stuff, we're going to cover a few online tools. Uh, Then progress more into the creative space like graphic tools, uh, multimedia utilities, and such. So we have um, 40, I think it was over 40, I think the number is 46 Mm -hmm. uh, gems that we'll be featuring until the end of June. And then actually in the magazine in the August issue, we will feature those 46 plus several more that we consider our all-time favorites. Oh, okay. Uh, the, so some of the perennial gems, the ones that are always, you know, they're, they're the ones that people should have on their mach- other machines and use as tools because they're just great software tools that really help you do your stuff.
1: Right. And, and the disclaimer there is that since I'm the normal gems guy, I got to pick the list. So,
0: yes. <laughs> so we blame they, you.
1: They, so, so you can blame me if you, you don't like something that's on there, or if you know your favorite thing's not on there. But, but I had to, I went back through all the ones that I had reviewed over the years, and I looked at my computer and said, you know, which ones am I still using after several years later after reviewing them? Because the truth is, is I've reviewed, gosh, something personally around six hundred Mac gems over the last what six or seven years, mm-hmm. uh, and then we've also reviewed another maybe two hundred fifty, three hundred fifty more in our features from other authors. And I clearly don't use all of those every day anymore. If I did, that would be pretty amazing. Um, but uh, I, I, I've, you know, I've got a good few dozen that I still use on a daily basis. And so, so Roman asked me to go through and look at the ones that I still use that I thought were the coolest ones. And so that was where this all-time list came from.
0: You know, you've anticipated my penultimate question, um, which is, I know when I review stuff, I get caught up in using an application or, or if I've just purchased an application and I think it's the greatest thing ever. And then a year later I look back and I realize I haven't touched it. Um, so what are some of these old gems that really stand the test of time?
1: Uh, well, I came up with a list of 20 that I sent Roman mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, those are, some of them are, I'm trying to think of what the oldest one is, you know, actually probably the oldest one. If you, if you include the fact that there was an OS, you know, eight and nine version it would probably be default folder, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you you're still using it, but I used that back in, you know, OS eight or whatever, and uh, it finally made the made the jump to OS ten several years ago, and and I still have it on all of my machines. I really can't use a Mac without it. Whenever I get on my wife's machine, and I. Try to, 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 to find a folder or save something somewhere, I'm like pulling my hair out, trying to figure out why I can't get where I want to get. So that's probably the oldest one out of there. Uh, and last week in the Mac video, I mentioned two other ones Mondo Mouse and Mercury Mover. And Mondo Mouse is on my list, uh, and it lets you move and resize windows using a keyboard shortcut with your mouse. So instead of having to grab uh, a particular, like the title bar to, to move the, the, the window or the tiny little resize handle at the bottom right to resize, you just stick the mouse cursor anywhere in the window, any kind of open space within a window or the title bar or anything else, hold down a key and then move the mouse and, uh, and it resizes or a different key, it'll uh, let you move it. And uh, it, it seems like, well, I don't really get it. You know, w- What's so big about that? But then once you use it for you know, a few days, you're just like, wow, this is how it should work because mm-hmm. um, it lets you move and resize things if they're behind other things, if you can't see the menu bar, uh, if, you, uh, um, if you can't grab you know, a certain part of the window. And uh, it, it just, you also it also cuts down on repetitive stress because you're not having to like, mouse over to a tiny little part of a menu bar or a tiny little corner, and you don't have to click the mouse button to do it. So it's just one of those things that I think um, should be on every Mac. But, um, but those are just two or three, and there's like 20 in all
0: yeah I was trying to think well, as you were talking, I was trying to think what the oldest gem would be on my mac, and I think it would have to be drag because, again it goes back to mm. gee, I'm at eight at least yeah and nine and uh and I'm back using it again, and I just like you, it's one of those things where this is how I work, and um whenever I get a new Mac, I install that right away and and yeah. for those who don't know, it's a launcher and an organizer mm. and and it's a nice piece of software and it uh I don't know what I'd do without it.
1: Yeah, it, well, and, and if you're talking about the first OS X specific software app, I would say the oldest one is probably for me um, LaunchBar. You know, and I know there's kind of religious wars out there between LaunchBar and Quicksilver and, and uh, Butler, but uh, um, Jason, Snell, and I are both big LaunchBar fans and have been there for you know, years now in OS X. And, and I, that's another one I can't really use a Mac without even to this day. Even though Spotlight's better now, it's still not LaunchBar.
0: And what about you, Roman? What have you got on your machine that's a gem that you couldn't live without?
2: Uh, my all-time favorite is Text Expander. Yeah. And for people who aren't familiar with Text Expander, it's a it's, it's sort of a keyboard. Sh- well, it's it's a tool that you can use where you type in um, a certain f- word or phrase, and it will replace that word or phrase with a you know whatever. It's sort of a longer word or phrase, sort of like a magical cut and paste tool for, so for me who, you know, I edit a lot. And so I use a lot of boilerplate type text and, uh, typing that stuff out is, uh, can be kind of tiring, especially if it's like, you know, typing some sort of HTML or something like that. And if I can just type in three letters and have that replaced by a huge long code of text, a line of text that that saves me a lot of time and a lot of headache and I use it constantly and it's it's, it's probably my all-time favorite gem and I don't think I could live without it so it, as a matter of fact I think my um, coding skills have kind of weakened because of text expander I forget what certain tags HTML tags are mean because I I'm used to using the text expander shortcut so I guess that's a kind of an over reliance on it but um, it is one of my favorites because it just saves me a, a ton of time every day.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's another one. I, I is is on my list as well, and it's yeah. The, the number of times I, I, you know, what TextExpander really needs, and who knows, maybe it has this feature. I don't know, but it needs a, a, a thing that pops up once in a while that just says. Today you used text expander 567 times. Uh, just just to let you know how many times you did it, because I don't even think I'm using it. I don't even think about using it anymore. Uh, like Roman said, when we post an article on the web, uh, for example, I've got to take a URL uh, and copy it, paste it in the document, and then format it uh, to use the, the correct whether it's markdown or HTML uh, with all the the correct code around it and the correct formatting for Mac word style and everything, and um when I do that, I, I, I don't even do that anymore. All I do is I type URL C, and for me that means URL on the clipboard. And uh, and when I type in URL C, that you, whatever URL is on the clipboard is automatically pasted into my document, correctly formatted and coded for for, for the document. And I do that with images. I do that for um, mouse ratings. I do it for, for URLs. Uh, you know, when I'm answering email, I have stock replies that are automatically pasted in. Uh, if if a vendor asks for our address to send something, I just type a d d y for addre, addy address, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm using I'm I honestly think that I probably use it hundreds of times a day a day.
0: Yeah, well, I'll put a plug in too for one uh, password, which yes is so great. Yeah, I mean, just because increasingly we we go to more and more sites and sign up for stuff whether it's Facebook or or whatever you're doing and enter a password and enter a username and then promptly forget it after scribbling it down somewhere. And one password automatically pops up a little thing and says, Oh, I see that you've got a username and a password here. Would you like me to remember it for you? Yes, please do that. And I found it particularly useful uh, last week because like a lot of people, my credit card was supposedly compromised because somebody stole millions of the things apparently. And one of the things you can do with 1Password is store a credit card and then have it autofill um, on certain websites. So instead of going to the 15 or so sites that had my credit card on record, where they automatically charge me every month, I could go in and change all that stuff within uh, maybe half an hour to fix all that stuff. Otherwise, I think without 1Password, I would have spent hours doing that. And, uh, and for that alone, it was, it was worth the price.
1: Well, and it also because it it stores passwords, you can use uh more secure passwords in it and it will even generate them for you. so yeah. I find myself using these long twelve character you know numbers uppercase lowercase random passwords that I never would have used before, and one password tracks them all and can fill them in for me but but of course, the downside to one password is, as I'm sure you know, it makes it really easy to buy stuff <laughs> I mean. <laughs> You go to a site and it asks for your credit card, and you just click one password and it fills in you know, your name, address, your credit card number, your expiration date, security, mean, everything instantly. And you're like, wait, did I just buy that?
0: Uh oh. Oh yeah. boy, that was a problem. Well, and also, you become reliant on it. So when you right. go to another computer, just as you do with Text Expander, you're suddenly using a computer and you type in your little Text Expander shortcut, and nothing right. happens. And you go, oh, right.
1: Hmm. Right, you try to log on to Twitter and ask for your password. It's like, I, I don't know what my password is.
0: <laughs> How could I possibly know that? Right. Do I'm
1: supposed to remember this?
0: Yeah. But, yeah. So it's a nice piece of software. Yes. Um, okay. So where can we learn more information about GemFest 2009?
2: If you go to uh, macworld.com, and then if you click on blogs in the on the homepage, it'll take you to our web blogs page. And then if you clicked, scroll down to Mac Gems, you can also go to the URL, which is macworld.com slash macgems. Mm-hmm. Actually, I yeah, don't know if that works. Does that work? It, <laughs> is, it
1: is, and it's a super secret. Don't tell anybody. But uh, most Macworld weblogs, you have to go to macworld.com slash weblog slash blah, 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 right. blah. But for Mac Gems, um, no one fixed this, so it still works. <laughs> so you can type macworld.com slash macgems, and you'll get there. What? Yes, I'm sorry, Chris. I know your blog doesn't have that.
0: My blog doesn't have that. How come you got that?
1: Yeah, it's 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 called a legacy mistake. Oh, okay. Well,
0: called. I'll make sure I pass along this to the uh, IT department before it's we. It's an post
1: unrepo- unreported bug, and we'd like it to stay that way. <laughs>
0: Great. Okay. Well, good for you. And I'm, I'm glad that it's so easy to get to Mac Gems. I'll make sure to bookmark that right away. Um, Roman and Dan, thank you very much for being here. And I look forward to reading through all the gems in the coming weeks. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld podcast sponsored by audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable spoken word content with over 50,000 titles. Get a free audiobook for your iPod or MP3 player at www.audiblepodcast.com/slash Macworld. I'd like to thank Dan Frakes, Roman Loyola, and of course you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-520-520. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, iPhone, Apple TV, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time.